Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Last week, we were considering the great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same one who lived here on earth over 2,000 years ago, who died for our sins, who rose again from the dead, and who ascended into heaven, will one day come again. It's a wonderful and exciting truth for Christians, encouraging our hearts in the sad and dreary scene, and inspiring us to live each remaining day for His glory but it's bad news for unbelievers. For them, it will be a tragic surprise. They would be left behind to face the terrible tribulation, and later, judgment for their sins. Speaker Jack Hay continues on this topic today, starting with a reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the Bible, which describes this great event in some detail. Now the first epistle to the Thessalonians, please, chapter 4. We'll read it, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now we're going to read in the Gospel by John chapter 14. These words are very familiar, but we'll read it verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Finally, the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11. We read at verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now may God add a rich blessing to the reading of what we believe to be his own inspired word. In First Thessalonians chapter 4 we have the rapture predicted. And the Apostle Paul, in dealing with this prophetical section of the epistle to the Thessalonians, comes to this, first of all, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Six times over in the New Testament, we have this phrase, I would not have you to be ignorant. Haven't time to go over that ground because it would take just a minute or two. Now, please don't relegate Bible prophecy 
to the realm of the theologians. The Thessalonians, you know, they were an infant assembly, and yet Paul very evidently had schooled them in eschatology. What does he mean, eschatology? It's uh, the doctrine of future events. And so Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. I'll tell you this, my friends. If we have a knowledge of future events, it will regulate our behavior here and now. Peter makes that point. The fact that all these elements are going to be dissolved and all the rest. What manner of persons ought we to be? He says, it ought to make an impact on our lives in the here and now. But here, he doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. What a delightful way to describe the saints who have died. Them that are asleep. Well, you know, sometimes the word of God uses different metaphors to describe the death of the believer. It's like a tent coming down, says 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This earthly house of our tabernacle being dissolved. The tent comes down. It's like a departure, Paul says. The time of my departure is at hand. And the idea is that of the sailing vessel. In full sail, going out of the harbour. It's a departure. And Paul says, there's coming a day soon when I'm going to embark on the great sea of eternity. It's a departure. But here it's sleep. Just let me say that when the Bible uses the metaphor of sleep to describe the death of the believer, it has nothing to do with what people call soul sleep. There is no such thing as soul sleep. Yesterday as we were leaving the house, we noticed two gentlemen starting to move around and they were knocking the doors. And we kind of knew who they were. And they would believe in soul sleep. Well, they don't really because they don't believe that you've got a soul. But, you know, they believe that once a person dies, then it's annihilation until the resurrection. Now, the Bible never teaches that. I've quoted already the dying thief. The Lord says to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I've quoted Paul's words, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. I've mentioned again that he did speak about departing to be with Christ, which is far better. And then there was Stephen, as the boulders thundered into him. He lifted his eyes heavenward and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He didn't believe in soul sleep. So whenever a person dies, their spirit flies heavenward. If they are the Lord's, they depart to be with Christ. No, the metaphor of sleep relates exclusively to the body. And the idea is this. There is always an awakening out of sleep. My brother, my sister, there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus will step from the throne and in effect say to his father, I go that I might awaken them out of sleep. And so he'll come and there will be resurrection. But those who've died presently, says Paul, are asleep. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not. No one is foolish enough to put a period there, a full stop. We all know that death brings sorrow. Paul knew it. Here was dear Epaphroditus making the long trek from Philippi to Rome. And for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. But Paul said God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also. Why, Paul? Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Oh, it was sorrow enough, as Paul saw that emaciated form 
But if the man had actually died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow, for inevitably death brings sorrow. I watch my Saviour approaching a tomb. I hear the wails of the Jews and the wails of Mary the sister, but as I watch, he stands, and with stately dignity, he shed tears. Jesus wept. Different word from Mary, different word from the Jews weeping. They wailed, ostentatiously they wailed. But in my mind's eye I can see him yonder, and the tears like precious pearls were chasing each other down his cheeks. Jesus shed tears. Our death brings sorrow. But the apostle is saying here that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Who are they? Well, the godly of the Old Testament had hope. I know that my Redeemer liveth, says Job. Martha, in the New Testament, she had hope. My brother shall rise again at the resurrection of the last day. But these Thessalonians were living in a pagan environment. No hope could be written over the lives of all around them. Without hope, says Paul of the Gentile in Ephesians 2. Now I know that in the context, it likely has to do with the fact that they had no hope of a coming Messiah. But really, you could take these words and write them over the lives of these Gentiles, having no hope. Oh, in a kind of general way, they may have believed in immortality. But resurrection? It wasn't in their thinking. When Paul preached about Jesus and the resurrection at Athens, they said he's a babbler. When he mooted it again, some mocked immediately. Resurrection just wasn't in their thinking. Having no hope, says Paul. Now he says, I, I don't want you to be sorrowing like those who have no hope. And he's going to demonstrate that saints who have fallen asleep will be raised by the power of the Lord Jesus when he comes again. And of course it is based on the fact that Jesus died and rose again. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Notice, Jesus died. Not Jesus fell asleep. Paul doesn't in any way kind of water the thing down as far as the Lord Jesus was concerned. He experienced death in all its horrors. Jesus died and rose again. And the apostle says, your faith has embraced that. You've taken it in. There was a day in your life's experience when for the first time it dawned on your soul. Jesus died and rose again and you believed it. We believe. It's something we believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep through Jesus will God bring with him. Just allow me to say about sleeping through Jesus, it would maybe have the idea that, well, the Savior looks down and he sees a dear one in the fever of life, and as it were, as a mother would take a child in her arms and rock the child to sleep, so that dear believer is taken into the arms of Jesus, and they sleep through the instrumentality of Jesus. We speak about accidents. We speak about untimely deaths. But my brother, my sister, it's so good to know that any who belong to him are put to sleep through the instrumentality of Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also who sleep through Jesus will God bring with him. And some of you would tell me, 
This really means that when the Lord Jesus comes in manifested glory, they'll be brought with him. They won't lose out because they've fallen asleep. They'll share his glory. And my dear friends, that concept is wonderfully true. And you think of the Colossian ministry, when Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, then we also shall be manifested with him. What a day, glorious day, that will be. But I would have to be honest and say I don't see that that is what is here. I would judge rather that what Paul is saying here is this, that just as the Lord Jesus was brought from the grave, Jesus died and rose again, even so. Even so, in the self-same way, those who sleep through the instrumentality of Jesus, they too will be brought from the grave. It seems to me that what has been said is that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus guarantees the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. So it's the teaching of First Corinthians 15, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they which are Christ's at his coming. If ye believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So Paul, you're emphasizing that what you're about to unfold is a direct revelation from the Lord. That is right. Why are you stressing that? Well, for this reason. You'll never read anything about this in the Old Testament. Never. You'll search in vain through the Olivet Discourse of the Lord Jesus to discover it. It's not there. So some may have charged him and said, Now, Paul, this is a figment of your imagination. This is novel. Abby says, I want to assure you, I'm telling you this by the word of the Lord. Just as he received revelation about the gospel from the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, and revelation about the supper from the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So he has received revelation from the Lord with regard to the mechanics of the rapture. What will take place step by step when the Lord Jesus comes again? I'm saying it to you by the word of the Lord. We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. In other words, there is no particular advantage in being still alive when the Lord Jesus comes again. No disadvantage in having died before he comes again. Those who are alive will not take precedence over those who have died. I won't stay with that point. For he says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Blessed words, the Lord himself. Oh, we'll have to look back to Calvary and think about Peter's words. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body in the tree? He did it personally. The time for types had gone. He did it alone. And we sang about it, alone, alone. He bore it all alone. He gave himself to save his own. He suffered, bled and died, alone, alone. His own self, says Peter. I've mentioned already the two on the Emmaus Road. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And many of you out there, you've discovered that that has been your experience in life. When your spirits were down, when your hopes were dashed, you discover that Jesus himself drew near and went with you. But what about the future? The Lord himself shall descend. Oh, when he's gathering Israel from the four quarters of the earth, he'll delegate that task to an angel. But as far as you and I are concerned, he's coming personally. The Lord himself. 
shall descend. Well, now, if he's going to make any movement, it'll have to be a downward movement. He can't go any higher than he already is. Says Ephesians 1, he's far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named. Far above all. But bless God, there's coming a day when he'll descend from heaven with a shout. I take it that this is the voice of the Son of God that is referred to in John chapter 5. Oh, the voice of the Son of God is heard presently. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And you remember it well in your own experience. You were spiritually dead and you heard the voice of the Son of God and you were quickened. But then the Savior went on to say, the hour is coming when they that are in the graves shall hear his voice. See the difference. In the one instance, he's speaking about the spiritually dead, but now he's speaking of the literal dead. They that are in the graves, and they will hear his voice and shall come forth. And so he's coming with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And they tell us that technically it means archangelic voice. It's the voice of Christ, but characteristically it's archangelic. And my friends, the Lord Jesus is coming with archangelic voice and with the trump of God. Now this isn't the memorial of the blowing of trumpets. It's not the trumpet judgments of the book of Revelation, which we'd time to expand on that. But I do take it, it is in line with what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, the last trump. And in that ancient eastern world, they would have known that whenever the Roman camp sounded the last trump, the time had come to strike camp. And march on, my dear friend, one of these days the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The last trump, he's coming with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That is, before living Christians are caught away, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, we which are alive and remain, and here's rapture, shall be caught up, caught up together with them. They are raised first. Then with them we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord? Oh, presently we are numbered among those of whom Peter wrote, You've never seen him, but you love him. This verse is saying one of these days we're going to meet the Lord. Who is this who comes to meet me on the desert way? As the morning star foretelling God's unclouded day, he it is who came to win me on the cross of shame. In his glory well I know him, evermore the same. We'll meet the Lord. Well, we'll be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What about these clouds? Is it a cloud from Vancouver and a cloud from Toronto and a cloud from a tiny village in Perthshire called Comrie? A tiny cloud. No, I don't think it's that kind of I'm satisfied it's just the clouds. I'm sorry if you don't agree with me about that, but I think it's just the clouds. We're going to meet them in the air, and we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, he says, exhort, comfort one another with these words. That's right. One of these days, and who knows, it could be today, Christians all over the world will finally get to meet the Lord face to face. As Peter wrote, Whom having not seen, ye love. Well, 
Soon we will see Him. What a wonderful prospect! Are you looking forward to meeting the Lord? Or does the whole idea bring some fear or anxiety to you? It doesn't have to. You see, it's your sins that's causing the problem. Why not come to the Lord Jesus Christ even today and trust Him as your own and personal Savior? Then you too will be able to say like the Apostle John, Even so come, Lord Jesus. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.